Hello, I'm Tom Idle. This is The Better Business Show. Thanks for being there. Coming up this week. Department of Defence, for their machines that they use in war settings, are using remanufactured Caterpillar engines. You can't put troops in danger. That just demonstrates the quality that's coming through from remanufacturing. Yes, we're talking remanufacturing with Greg Lavery, founder of Ripe Office, changing the way companies buy and get rid of their office furniture forever. Stay tuned. Yes, we'll also be catching up as ever with Vicky Knowles towards the end of the show to catch up on all the latest insights and news of what's going on in the world of sustainable business. Uh, so stay tuned for that later on too. So welcome back to The Better Business Show. This is episode eight. Uh, much appreciated your tuning in and sharing and shouting about us uh, across all the social media channels and uh, for subscribing via iTunes as well. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes now and give us a five-star re- rating and a and a review. That'd be fantastic if you could uh, take the time to do that. It only takes a couple of minutes to do so, so that'd be much appreciated. Um, now we you know we talk a lot about the circular economy uh, on this show. We did a lot of that during episode three of the Better Business Show when we met with Dutch Awareness. And it's something we'll no doubt come back to again and again during the course of the show, purely because there's so much going on and there's so many wonderful examples of companies doing things differently to tackle the big fat issue that is waste. And also there's a huge opportunity uh, for companies and sectors to really save money, to reduce waste and really disrupt entire sectors. A central theme of the circular economy conversation is how companies are starting to think differently about how they deliver products and services to market and whether customers will be happy to share, to lease, to hire goods rather than buy things outright. And it gives companies a huge opportunity to save on resources and strip out the costs and really find efficiencies by doing things differently. Have a look at a company like Rico or Kyocera, uh, which have completely transformed their businesses in the last five, ten years. No longer do they sell big, bulky photocopiers and printers that are you know, thrown into the skip once they're no longer usable. Now they sell access to large-scale printers or photocopiers, not other office equipment. They charge a monthly fee and now take care of refurbishment and repair and the continued reuse of those machines, which obviously stay around for much longer. So rather than simply selling, installing, and then walking away, uh, the savings on the resources are huge. The you know the efficiencies are huge, and they're really proving that the model clearly does work. Of course, there's always going to be products and services where ownership rules. My dad is a classic car fanatic. The idea of leasing his beloved TR will be unthinkable. He wants to own it. He wants to feel it. He wants to live it and love it. And there are certain sectors where it's going to be really hard to disrupt these types of models. Look at fast-moving consumer goods, companies selling foodstuffs and other high-turnover goods. They're going to struggle to adopt a similar model. We get that. It's not an easy nut to crack this one. But one sector that is ripe for disruption uh, and a new model is office furniture. And that's what we're going to hear about in today's show. Greg Lavery, the founder of a business called Ripe Office, 
has been a sustainable business consultant for many years, producing a number of white papers and academic research documents highlighting the untapped potential of what he refers to as remanufacturing. There was a, something called the Next Manufacturing Revolution, which was a, a report co-authored by Greg's consultancy practice, Lavery Pennell, with the University of Cambridge's uh, Institute of Manufacturing, which identified huge opportunity for remanufacturing in the UK, as well as the number of barriers to adoption. A peek at the profit and social benefits of remanufacturing versus traditional manufacturing, which obviously uses virgin uh, resources, shows a 2.7 times profit margin in favour of remanufacturing, purely because of that huge reduction in input costs. And it was this research and learning which prompted Greg to set up Ripe Office, a company hoping to shake up the way companies buy and get rid of their office furniture in the future. I'll let Greg explain a bit more. So Greg, thanks for joining us on The Better Business Show. Um, you've been working in the kind of sustainable business space for, for a while now with your consultancy, Lavery Pennell, helping to support companies, you know, go through that transition, helping them to think differently about how they do their, uh, how they run their business. Uh, and then you took the decision to launch a brand new business of your own in the form of Ripe Office. What what was the thinking behind that? Was it about taking all of that knowledge that you've been providing over the years uh, and applying it to your own thing? Yes. What what we found time and time again when we're working with clients is that whatever they wanted, whether they wanted a more sustainable solution or a more profitable solution, we were able to find win-wins that got them both. So more profitable, sustainable solutions for their business. And in a piece of work we did with the University of Cambridge in two degrees called the Next Manufacturing Revolution, we looked at circular resource use as one of a number of um, resource efficiency areas. And we recognized that actually there wasn't much going on uh, to actually drive and, and create offerings for organizations where they can purchase remanufactured products that are a lot more sustainable. So that's prompted us to think about which sectors are that most, most applied to uh, and one of those uh, is office furniture, which happens to be a personal passion of mine. Right. Okay. So, so ripe office in a nutshell. What is it? What are you trying to do with it? Well, it starts from the premise that we believe that offices, every office, should be beautiful, sustainable, uh, and cost-effective. And right now, new office furniture is ridiculously expensive, and there are three hundred tons a day, every working day in the UK, going to landfill of office furniture. So that's, that's a bad place to start from. So what we recognized is that for many companies, finding more sustainable solutions to furniture is very time consuming. So we set up Ripe Office to make that easy. So Ripe Office will work with a company, understand their needs, do some design if needed, designing an office layout uh, and all of the trappings that come with a beautiful office, and then go out and source the furniture, starting, for example, with existing furniture that a client might have, identifying what the good bits are within that, uh, and then doing whatever works necessary to bring that up to as new condition, as well as going out to the secondhand market, uh, and we have a huge network, we can find specific furniture, pull that together, remanufacture that, and then top that up as needed with new furniture from surplus stocks and other sustainable sources that we have, um, in order to get a full office full of beautiful furniture at less than half the list price. 
Right, right. I mean, you can almost visualise how big the problem is. You know, you walk around London and there's so much development going on um, with, you know, companies moving in and out of their offices. This this furniture just gets dumped, does it? I mean, why, why is that? There's a lot of obsolescence um, in the thinking around furniture. So, for example, you change your corporate colour uh, and, and you're thinking about moving office, then it's pretty... Um, easy to, for the CEO to say, well, okay, that probably needs means we need new furniture. And to date, there hasn't been much alternative. I mean, if you've got 50 people in an office or more, um, if, if you're tasking your poor old furniture project manager to go out there or your head of purchasing and find 50 plus sets of furniture that looks the same, that's very difficult if you're not inside the industry and you're doing it once every five or 10 years. Um, so there's been a real gap in sort of service provision around that, which we're trying to fill. Uh, and and so what that means is the default position to date has been that sort of linear take-make-waste model where faced with limited alternatives, furniture which is perfectly serv- serviceable apart from maybe old coloured fabric that might be starting to wear a little bit, which by the way is eminently replaceable, um, there hasn't been much alternative, so that's been replaced. Right, right. So, so the problem you're solving is that you're encouraging companies rather than to, to throw office furniture into the into the dump, that you'll take it and then you'll kind of repurpose it for some, for somebody else. Uh, and I guess you're also trying to solve the issue of, of companies going out and buying new furniture and just contributing to the kind of, you know, the consumption patterns that, you know, are destroying the planet, I guess we, we could say. Um, where, where, are you, where are you getting the stuff from then? How, how are you kind of sourcing secondhand furniture? Well, okay, secondhand furniture, partly we, we start, when we start with a client, we have a good look around their premises, they're happy to show us around their offices, and we say, hey, you know that's a 900-pound chair right there, and you have 12 of them, and you're thinking of discarding those, whereas actually the chrome might be damaged or they might be scratched, we can fix all of that, or they might need some uh, new upholstery on that. That's all fixable. So you can end up with a 900-pound chair having paid maybe 100 pounds to do the uh, improvement works to it. Um, so that's one source. The other, there are, there is, as you can imagine, post the economic downturn, enormous warehouses full of furniture around London, um, run by some um, very canny traders uh, who recognise the the value in that furniture and and recognise that sending that to landfill uh, isn't a good idea. So we work with them. There are also office clearance companies. So when a large bank announces it's closing a couple of branches or or a head office that furniture is then pushed through the network by the organisations uh, who are c- contracted to clear that. So we have visibility of those. So there's a lot of different sources. And let's not forget as well, there's also new furniture available. So many uh, furniture manufacturers do photo shoots. Uh, that photo shoot, uh, furniture, sofas, uh, all sorts of things, uh, end up under plastic in a shed somewhere and eventually get written off by the CEO and a sent for recycling. We actually access that as well because we think that's a fantastic source of furniture, especially for good one-off items. And you can imagine, as being part of a photo shoot, it's been manufactured to beautiful, beautiful conditions with amazing fabrics. So that's a great source for us as well. Yeah. So, so what sort of clients are you, are you working with? What sort of companies are interested in this? Tom, we've been delighted by the response to the business. So ranging from small companies that are moving office, uh, needing 20 people's uh, worth of furniture, right up to the big guys, so Royal Bank of Scotland, Imperial College, and just recently Pilkington are our clients. Uh, they're realising the value proposition uh, in, in remanufactured furniture, uh, and we're delighted with the range of companies that are engaging with us. 
brilliant. And so you say that they, they can basically buy furniture from you guys at probably half the cost of what they would normally pay. Um, how, how are you able to kind of do that? And, and that's the magic of remanufacturing. You've got it right there, Tom. So if you think about, a, let's take a chair, for example, a desk chair. It has a lot of steel and aluminium. And in an indoor environment, that's designed to last a very, very long time, like thousands of years, right? Um, that also has the biggest environmental footprint and the biggest economic cost when making a chair. So we take those elements, those basic elements, strip them back, check them for quality, make sure they're working and functioning perfectly, recoat them, and then rebuild the rest of the chair around them, the fabrics, the foams, all those sorts of things. And what you end up with then is a chair that's environmental footprint is less than a third of new. The cost is less than half the list price of new. Uh, and we've created local jobs in doing that. And, and that's, that's the world of remanufacturing that's really quite new, especially to the furniture industry. But in many industries, so photocopies have been doing it. So Ricoh, Kyocera, Fuji and Xerox, their photocopies, they've been remanufacturing for a decade. Uh, and so many offices already have a remanufactured photocopier. So we're just doing that for furniture, which left, let me tell you, is a lot simpler to remanufacture than a massive photocopier with all of its electronic componentry. Yeah, I guess it is less complex in that respect. But it, but I guess these, these you know pieces of furniture are still quite big, quite cumbersome. Where where do you do all that kind of refurb and repairs? Have you got premises in London? How how do you, where do you do that? Yes, we have a network of workshops, uh, Lancashire, London, even Wales. Um, some of which is um, um, outsourced, uh, and what that enables us to do to have, is have a really good geographical reach and reduce that transport legs because we've got two transport legs. We want to minimise those because that reduces the environmental footprint and cost, of course, as well. So, yes, a, a, a geographical diversity is quite useful for us. Right, right. And and so are you able to kind of quantify, you know, the, the sort of positive impact you, you've, actually, you've actually had since you launched? Do you know what impact you've had? Uh, yeah, hard to say. I mean, there, there's some great research out there from the 2000s uh, which sort of showed a remanufacturing has an 80% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, biodiversity damage, water use, etc., etc., and, of course, the waste um, saving as well. We haven't quantified that, that um, and as a small business, um, frankly, we're busy keeping up with custom, customer demand, so uh, mm. retrospective sort of accounting and reporting is um, something we're struggling to do. But I, I guess we've probably taken um, through our books uh, maybe... Uh, well, sem many tons of furniture that otherwise uh, would have ended up uh, recycled or in landfill, uh, and and put that back to good use. Yeah, I mean, it's no doubt that you know it's it's completely unsurprising that you're you're very busy. The opportunity is huge, isn't it? The market that you can go after here is absolutely enormous. Uh, well, yes. I mean, we, we'd like to think that that many companies are. Are looking for better alternatives for their furniture. Are thinking more environmentally. Are concerned about their waste. Uh, and importantly, now uh, in these tough economic times, cost effectiveness is really, really important. So many organisations are coming to us with a brief that basically says, "Look, Greg, can you help us find a lower cost, good quality solution? Because we don't want to compromise on the comfort of our staff, uh, and we want something that looks great. We want that beautiful office." 
but how can we do that cheaper? Because new furniture is just crazy expensive nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I listen to your story, and you, you just think, well, why isn't every company doing this? But of course, you know, not every company is thinking like this. How, how do you kind of turn the tide? How do we how do we mainstream this? There's no way that companies should be throwing you know office furniture into into the landfill, is there? No, and 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 I think there's some really good organisations who are the voice of of a more rational approach. So Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Green Alliance, the Great Recovery at RSA, uh, and various others have, have have been doing some really good thinking. And that's starting to catalyze a rethink as to what organizations do uh, in terms of, of, of their production processes. But let's remember, there's a lot of built-in uh, inertia. So if you're a manufacturer, you sell through a distributor, in, in not just furniture, but any industry, those distributors are a little uncertain about the idea of remanufactured product. They don't really know the quality. They haven't done it before. And and frankly, their distribution margins might be a bit less. So mm. that's a, a little bit daunting for a, for, a, for a manufacturer to take on their distribution channel with a whole new product. Now, yeah. there's complexities. And of course, in our consulting business, we help companies through those having done it ourselves. Uh, but but let's face it, this is this is going to take a little while to, to drive change so that everything in our daily lives uh, and our, our business lives actually is remanufactured or, or at least a bit a bit more circular. And is that is that the hardest you know part about getting your business to kind of work well? Is it about that convincing of the market that this is the way to go, or is it are there other kind of logistical challenges? What, what's the hardest part about running this business right now? And that's an excellent question. And by far the biggest challenge is is a perception of quality. So right. we take when when we visit clients, we take a, a piece of furniture with us, and we say, "Hey, can you tell the difference between this and a brand new one?" Uh, and we we can put them side by side if necessary. Uh, and and what that does is immediately dispels this myth that there's some sort of compromise on quality. Uh, and, and so what we then have is a real conversation about uh, what that. Uh, the needs of the customer is and what that order might look like. So it transitions from a, oh gosh, I might be making some compromises here, straight to a sort of business discussion. So quality is really, really major point for us and, and a lot of our marketing is about educating uh, potential buyers about the quality that's available through remanufacturing. Because let's face it, remanufacturing is fairly new uh, to most people. Yeah, and it, and it scares some people, doesn't it? Uh, but 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 you would imagine that it would scare people less in this kind of environment than than in the kind of electronics market. And as you as you say, companies like Rico have been doing this this sort of thing for for a long time. Right, and and another excellent example is Caterpillar. So the de- Department of Defence, for their machines that they use in war settings, are using remanufactured Caterpillar engines. Right, and and so you imagine that the. the the quality confidence that they must have in Caterpillar and those engines because you can't put troops in danger of, of equipment failure in those really hostile environments. So that just demonstrates the quality that's coming through from remanufacturing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, what, what, you know, what's your background, Greg? I, mean, you, I mentioned that you're a, a consultant of many years, but this passion for kind of office design and, and this sort of environment, where does that come from? Well, I, I was lucky, Tom. I, I did a PhD back in the 90s in, in green buildings, looking at how the world was transitioning in terms of how it designs its business. Now, fortunately, that I translate uh, into office designs uh, with clients right now and bringing many of those green elements. And that was something that really stirred me up um, doing that PhD. Before that, I'm an engineer by training. And, and what I saw when I was an engineer 
that spurred me to do this PhD in green buildings was designers trying to do a good job, but practically not particularly well equipped in terms of design skills um, and facing clients that were pretty unsympathetic. So I, I embarked in the 90s on a, on a sort of journey to try and improve that. And in fact, my consulting days were all about how to understand the business brain uh, and, and the business world and how to influence their decision making uh, to be more sustainable and profitable. Right, right. Well, I think it's great. It's, it's fantastic to hear all about RIPE. Um, how can our listeners find out more about what you're doing and, and possibly get in touch to see if, you know, maybe you can fit their offices out with, with smart, sustainable furniture? Right. The, our website's www.ripeoffice.com, spelled R-Y-P-E. So that's ripeoffice.com. Uh, we also have on there uh, some tips and hints for how to reduce the cost of an office move, uh, how to choose more sustainable office furniture. Uh, as I said at the outset, we're all about making life easy to have a more sustainable, beautiful and budget-friendly office. Um, so there's a lot on our website that uh, listeners might benefit from. Fantastic, Greg. Well, it's, it's great to hear about RIPE and, and your plans for the business. Obviously, you know, clearly a market there that, that, you know, can take advantage of solutions like yours and help unlock that value and reduce waste and, you know, tie in with the whole circular economy piece, which I think, you know, companies are well struggling to get to grips with now so i think what you're doing is very smart indeed so thanks very much for taking the time to be a part of the better business show that's a pleasure thanks tom this episode of the better business show is sponsored by narrative matters creating content that sings for organizations that want to change the world for more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works check out narrativematters.co.uk. Greg Lavery there, founder of Ripe Office. As ever, we have show notes online. Just head over to betterbusiness.show. Uh, you'll find some pics of Greg and some pics of uh, the rest of the, the office furniture products that his company is selling right now. And as I've said before, I really want the Better Business Show to be useful in connecting up as many listeners and guests as possible. So if you genuinely can make use of Greg's ripe office offering, um, you know, perhaps you're undergoing a refurb right now, or you're at least thinking about it, it might be worth having a chat with Greg. So it could be a really good place to start. So if you'd like me to connect you up with Greg, um, send me an email, tomidle at narrativematters.co.uk, uh, or we can do it via Twitter. So just get in touch. Right, now it's time for Vicky Knowles. So Vix, thank you. Thanks for coming back. Um, so yeah, the latest trends, insights, news, what's happening out there? What have you got for us this week? Hey Tom. Um, so in a world where generally the videos of factories we see are usually in exposing documentaries, it kind of feels like a brave move that IKEA has released a virtual reality tour of its Bad Dohi factory in northern India, which makes carpets for IKEA stores around the world. But IKEA is actually investing two billion in India, which it's considering its third most important market. So in light of this, it's planning to open 25 stores in the country over the next decade, with the first one hitting Hyderabad in 2017. And with the factory in the video, they are very much championing women who in this area didn't work before. And every worker in the factory has a bank account, gets a weekly day off and access to a medical facility. So it seems that they're really looking after their suppliers in this big push for manufacturing in India. And by the way, you don't actually have to 
have virtual reality goggles in order to watch the video, you can use your mouse to move the video around in a 360 degree view. It's quite interesting. Cool. I mean, yeah, less interested in the kind of virtual reality element of this, which I think is a, a bit of a gimmick. But I love the idea of watching videos about manufacturing. It reminds me of the, you know, the school days when they used to watch those open university videos uh, so you could see how things were made. But, you know, something definitely interesting in watching people make stuff. I think it's great that IKEA have, have opened its doors to, to allow people to look at what's happening in these factories in India with all the hype and attention around kind of working conditions and human rights abuses. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant, commendable. I'd like to see more companies open their doors and, and use video to really see, you know, show what's going on in their supply chains. It's brilliant. We'll, we'll put the, the link to the video in uh, the show notes for this week. Okay, Vix, what, what else is going on? Yeah, so next up, imagine if planes taxiing to and from the runway created no emissions whatsoever. Actually, that doesn't really sound like much, but for EasyJet, that could save 50,000 tonnes of fuel a year. So the airline is planning to trial hydrogen fuel cells later in 2016. So it basically works by capturing the energy from braking when landing to power the plane on the ground. Not only that, but the wastewater from the hydrogen cells could be given to passengers to drink. Apparently, it's that pure. And if not, there's always water for hand washing, etc. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's easy to be disparaging about these these sorts of stories. It's a bit like when you hear of um, you know airport terminals reducing energy consumption. You think, well, what you know doesn't matter what's going on in the, inside the terminal or what's going on outside the terminal with all the planes taking off. But you know, plenty of innovation in this, and EasyJet ought to be applauded. I think for trialing this, a sort of hybrid hybrid plane, um, and, and you know, who knows where this innovation will lead uh, there's also an argument that you know the pollution i guess from from airplanes sitting on runways for you know 30 minutes before they take off is, is much more damaging to 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 health and and to you know the impact on local air pollution and you know you try telling people that live near an airport that this isn't a good idea so yeah wonderful stuff okay what, what what's last um yeah lastly i absolutely love this one so would you change your commuting habits if you were paid to well, that is exactly what Milan is proposing, paying people to cycle to work instead of driving. It's in a bid to reduce air pollution. And to give that some context, this is a city where traffic was banned for a few days in December because of the air quality. So how much, you may ask? Well, it's being piloted in a, another Italian small town, Massarosa, and they're paying people up to 50 euros per month or 600 euros a year. So maybe a free coffee every day? And people's distances, um, which is which works out 25 cents per kilometre, are tracked on an app. Um, I don't know how close to your office you live, but do you think you would change your commuting habits for a bit of extra dosh? Yeah, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? I love the idea of, you know, people being bought uh, when it comes to changing their habits. It's an interesting one. It's uh, be really interesting to see how this goes. I went to Milan last year, and it's an uh, absolutely beautiful place, but the roads are well they're just a, a bit of a mess and uh, it's a bit of a game actually just crossing the roads so you wouldn't see me jumping on a bicycle there uh, and I'm not too sure how much money it would take to, to get me on my bike there but interesting one it'd be interesting to see how that one goes definitely that, yeah thanks Fix well you know great to uh, to have your views and your insights from the from the week um, what does this week hold for you what are you up to yeah, so um, I'm writing a couple of pieces for next week on um, the sharing economy, where that's going, um, what's the future of that, you know, lots of people have jumped on this bandwagon, but um, what the future holds would be an interesting one, and also the future of the beef industry, beef is not going to be as popular as um, pork and chicken um, in the future, so uh, 
you know, what, what that's going to entail in terms of lab-grown burgers and that sort of thing. It'd be an interesting one. Wow, fascinating. Uh, good for a vegetarian to be writing about beef as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, good luck with it and, uh, and thanks for coming back and we'll see you again next week. All right, see you next week. As I say, Vicky will be back next week with more updates for us. If you like what you're hearing on the show, uh, then please do tell your friends and your family and your colleagues all about us and encourage them to, to share and subscribe. Also, um, we do a weekly mailer as well. So if you'd like uh, to not miss an episode and to find out what's on each weekly show, uh, we usually send out an email every Friday and you can subscribe to that email uh, via the, the Better Business Show homepage. Just go to betterbusiness.show and then scroll down and you'll find the form. All we need is your email address and, and you won't miss a thing. We'll email you each Friday. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.